You're listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week, Brother Keith continues our journey through John's gospel with getting to the heart of the matter from John 4, 1 through 26. Amen. Thank you, John. Well, we have another great passage this morning. After I finish a sermon, Monday morning I start on the next one. And all through the week I'm thinking and meditating on the text. And I can't wait to tell you what I found out about God's Word. And as we're going through John's Gospel, we're seeing how Jesus does love us and how He came to relate to people. And we saw that a couple of weeks ago as he related to Nicodemus. And today we'll see him relating to a Samaritan woman who's on the other end of the spectrum from Nicodemus. And all the people in between, Jesus came out of his love to relate to people. And his mission is to redeem the world. That's why he came, to redeem it. Not only his creation, he's certainly going to do that, but he's going to redeem mankind, and he redeems mankind by changing hearts, changing your heart, changing my heart. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about our physical heart, but our center of affection, our heart, our utmost desire, what is in here, that's what he changes, and that's why he came. Someone has said the heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. Let me say that again. The heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. And if you look at every conflict that we have, every uh, amount of strife, it can be traced back to the human heart and the condition of it. And Scripture acknowledges this early on in Genesis 8. God said, every inclination of man's heart is evil from childhood. Every inclination is evil from childhood. Now that kind of it runs contrary to the common notion that people are inherently good by nature. That's not what God says. Every inclination of man's heart is evil from childhood. And then God said through Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then in Mark 7, Jesus said, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts. And he lists all kinds of things that that results in. And he said, this makes a man unclean, his heart. See, you and I don't have to do anything to have a bad heart. We're born with it. But we do have to do something to change it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's why redemption is necessary. That's why Jesus came to redeem us, because we need to be redeemed. God said through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. And that's His promise, that He will do this because of our heart's condition. And in today's passage, we'll see Jesus changing the heart of the Samaritan woman at the well. That's what he's doing. 
And in this passage, I want you to see the initiative of Jesus. See His initiative. See His boldness. See His grace. See His truth. And see His authority. Now, Jesus and His disciples, you remember, were baptizing in the same area as John the Baptist and His disciples. Now, there's nothing that gets the attention of the religious establishment like success. So the Jews in Jerusalem heard about all the people that were being baptized, and they went out to investigate. But Jesus knew that it wasn't time for Him to confront the religious leaders yet, so He left to return to Galilee. Now, think about Israel, a long, skinny country. Judea is in the south, and Galilee is in the north. So he was in Judea, he was going to uh, Galilee. And in between the two is the region of Samaria. Now, Samaria today is what we know as the West Bank. Today it's controlled by the Palestinians, and there is as much animosity between the Jews and the Palestinians as there were between the Jews and the Samaritans in Jesus' day. And one of the things that struck me as we walked around in Israel back in April was the fact that we were walking on land not only where so much history is taking place, but where it has taken place. This town, Sychar, is at the base of the Mount of Gerizim. And this is the same area where Abraham was when God promised his descendants that they would inherit the land. And it's also the same area where Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River into this area where Jesus is with the Samaritan woman. And at this mount, Mount Gerizim and Ebal, this is the place where the Israelites were reminded of their covenant relationship with God. And so here's Jesus inviting this woman into a relationship with with God in the same place where all that history had taken place. Well, John tells us that Jesus was tired. Not only does John show us his divinity, but he also shows us his humanity. So he was tired, and he sat down by Jacob's well. It was about the sixth hour, which was noon, when the woman came up to get water, which was unusual because she was alone, and she came at noon. The women usually came together. It was a social event, either in the morning or the evening. But this woman was alone, and it was at noon. And Jesus started a conversation that would change her life. It would change her life, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So Jesus got to the matter, the heart of the matter with this woman, first of all, through his initiative. Verse 4 said that now he had to go through Samaria. Now, the Jews of that day would avoid going through Samaria, if at all possible. They would avoid it. Even if they knew it would take longer to go around it, they would go around it. So why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Well, it was because he was following his Father's will. That's what Jesus did. He followed his Father's will. So the initiative for this life-changing meeting was from God. But not only that, then even the conversation was initiated by Jesus. When the woman walked up and he asked, will you give me a drink? 
See, God always takes the first step. He initiates our relationship. He became human so that humans could know Him. That's at His initiative. So that we could know Him. We come to God because He draws us. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we come to Jesus because God initiates us coming. We love only because he first loved us. We serve only because he empowers us to serve. So he takes the initiative in everything. Jesus takes the initiative to get to your heart too. That inner tugging that you feel or you sense in your heart, maybe through a sermon, hopefully through a sermon, but maybe through reading His Word, maybe through hearing a Christian song, or, or maybe through a, a friend, or through your life circumstances, that inner tugging that you sense, that very well might be Jesus compelling you through His Holy Spirit to come. Don't ignore that. Talk to somebody about it. Call me. My number is on the front of our worship sheet anytime. Call somebody and follow up. Don't ignore that tugging in your heart because He initiates all communion with Him. Even our worship, whether it's private worship or corporate worship, we worship because of the initiative that He, he begins with. It's a response to who He is. So it's always at his initiative. But notice also, secondly, his boldness. One of the things I love about Jesus is his boldness. While he walked on this earth, he never feared anything. Why would he? He's God. And if you think about it, why would we fear anything if God is in us? If, if his spirit is in us, why would we fear anything? Well, Jesus didn't. He had a boldness. And here we see him boldly breaking down barriers to get to this woman's heart. He was breaking down cultural barriers, social barriers, racial and religious. He just smashed them. The fact that he went through Samaria was unusual, as I mentioned, because the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. Now think back to your biblical history a little bit. After the northern kingdom fell, Assyria took the residents of uh, the northern kingdom and they brought foreigners in and so they intermarried. And the result of that was a mixed race of people, the Samaritans. Half-breeds, according to the purebred Jews, and they despised one another. And they had a long history of trying to undo the other because they hated each other. But Jesus, a Jew boldly walked into Samaria in order to meet this Samaritan woman. And notice in verse 9 her surprise to his request for a drink. She said, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan. How can you ask for anything? See, Jews wouldn't even touch a vessel or a cup or anything that a Samaritan had touched. Yet Jesus did. And not only did Jews and Samaritans not associate with one another, but a Jewish man would never be seen talking with a woman in public, and especially a rabbi, because that would be the end of his career if he was seen talking with a woman 
in public. But Jesus smashed that social barrier. By the way, Jesus elevated women more than anyone else. He did. But he's also bold in confronting this woman with the life that she was living, a morality barrier, and also in offering her the life that she needed. He confronted her. Have you ever noticed how people get defensive if they sense that you're interfering with their life? If you hold them accountable, if you question anything, sometimes we tend to get defensive. Well, Jesus boldly interferes with our lives. He does. He was interfering with this woman's life. But don't miss the gentleness with which He did it. He waited until she was alone. I can imagine there were other people that might have been passing by, but she was alone. And not only that, but He never condemned her. Yeah, He might have convicted her, but He didn't condemn her. Jesus was always bold, but never arrogant, mean, and condescending. And He's the same with us. He's bold with us, but He's not condescending. He's not mean and arrogant. He's gentle, yet He's bold. And then thirdly, notice His grace. It's actually in grace that He initiates relationship and breaks down barriers, but don't miss the fact that Jesus was offering her eternal life. She came for water, but Jesus knew that she needed much more than water. And He's offering it to her. Verse 10, Jesus said, If you only knew the gift of God and who was offering it to you, it's a gift of God. She couldn't earn what Jesus was offering her. It's a gift and he said, if you knew, you would be asking me for the life that only I can offer you. If you only knew. Water was often a symbol in, in the Bible and Old Testament for God and His presence and His Holy Spirit. And Jesus was speaking metaphorically about living water. But she was hearing literally. He's speaking metaphorically. She is listening and hearing Literally, to her, living water would mean running water as opposed to well water or cistern water. And running water was always better and preferred. And so she said, maybe jestingly, yeah, give me some of that water so I won't have to keep coming back to this well. Give me some. Still thinking literally. We saw the significance of living water when we were in Israel at En Gedi. There in the barren wilderness, a sea of brown and death and, and rocks, is a spring that King David drank from. That's still flowing 3,000 years later. It's still bubbling up and flowing from the rocks. And it creates this area of green grass and trees. And because of the trees, the shade is there. And so the area is alive with birds and, and animals that seek refuge in this place. Everything in the path of that water that comes out is alive because of it. It's running water. And it brings and attracts life. And therefore, it's living water. And Jesus told the woman in verse 14, the water I give him, there, there it is again, it's a gift. The water I give him will become 
in Him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So what He gives becomes more. It bubbles up and keeps bubbling up. And doesn't that sound like grace? That He gives us this life and it becomes more life so that it can affect other people. As believers, see, we become a spring of water that touches the lives of people downstream from us. Everybody in our path, whether it's family, friends, or strangers, should be touched by what is flowing out of our lives to touch their lives. So see, how we live as Christians does matter. Absolutely it matters. We are to be bubbling up with this life and affecting the lives of people around us. Now think about a well. You wouldn't build... Uh, or you could build a house on a well. In fact, my grandmother had a well on her back porch. It surrounded the well because you can contain the water in that well, but you wouldn't build a house over a spring because that spring water will find its way up and out. Unless, of course, you're like Frank Lloyd Wright who can bring in the elements of, of the world into his architecture but you wouldn't do, you wouldn't do that normally because that water is going to spring up and find its way out and that's the idea behind peace and joy coming out of the Christian's life because no matter what you put on top of it that spring of joy and peace and hope is going to keep bubbling up because it comes from somewhere beyond us and it bubbles up and out well, the Samaritan woman had come to the well to get water. She had a physical need. And that's why she came. And Jesus used her physical need to help her to see that she had a greater spiritual need. She was only trying to meet a temporal need. And in grace, Jesus met her eternal need. And He wants to do the same for us. He wants to do the same for you and for me. So he works in grace. But also, fourthly, he got to the heart of the matter with this woman by his truth. There are two revelations that are essential to become a Christian and to be a Christian. And that is that we must see Jesus and we must see ourselves. See, we don't become a Christian without the two of those things. We have to see Jesus as He is, and we have to see ourselves as we are so that we can respond to Him as He is. The woman still wasn't understanding Jesus' metaphor for living water, so He went deeper. They were going back and forth between living water. Yeah, give me some of this water. And He said, go get your husband and come back. Now, obviously, he knew that she couldn't do that because the man she was living with wasn't her husband. In fact, she had had five husbands. She was working on number six. And the Jews in that culture looked down on anyone who had more than three, whether that's by divorce or death. If you were a widow five times, you would still be looked down on because you were considered a curse of some sort. But here, she was working on number six, and, and Jesus said, go get your husband and, and come back. But he was revealing what was in her heart. 
he wasn't changing the subject. He was continuing on and going a little deeper, revealing her heart. And he confronted her with the truth of her loose lifestyle. And she appeared to be making human acceptance and relationships with men her highest pursuit, not God. And Jesus is helping her to see that. And Jesus says the same to us, to you and to me, go get your blank and come back. Now you fill in the blank, whatever that is, that is more important in your life than your relationship with Jesus. Whatever that is, whether it's your work, whether it's your family, whether it is your status, whatever. Whatever you have placed in a higher position of desire than your relationship with Jesus, that's what Jesus says, go get and bring back. See, with Nicodemus, remember we saw and that thing for him would be his religion and his morality. For the rich young ruler that Jesus spoke with, it would be his possessions. For this Samaritan woman would be her relationships. Whatever that thing is, those things, go get it. Bring it back. And so the truth stung her. And she tried to shift the attention away from herself. And she started talking about religion. That's always a good thing to do. So if you want to divert attention, let's talk about religion. Well, that's what she did. She started talking about Samaritans and how they worshipped on Mount Gerizim. That's where they had established an altar so that they wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem. And then she talked about Jews worshipping in Jerusalem. So which one is best? Which one should we follow? But notice that Jesus didn't give approval of either because a new day had come. True worship takes place in the heart of those who believe Jesus Christ. Not in a certain place. It takes place in here. And those are the ones that God is seeking. Those who worship in spirit and truth from the heart. And that's what Jesus is telling this woman. And it doesn't matter if your heart's not in it. It's not worship anyway. Well, lastly, he got to the heart of the matter with this woman with his authority. The conversation came to a climax. When the woman, maybe she was trying to end it, she said, well, the Messiah is coming and he will explain everything. See, the, the Samaritans had a partial truth of, about God because they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. So they knew nothing about what the prophets had said or the Psalms or anything about what God was going to do with mankind through His Messiah. They didn't accept that. But then Jesus revealed to her the ultimate truth. He said, I am He. Yes, the Messiah is going to come, and I am He. He was boldly declaring His deity. I am. Everything, see, comes back to Jesus. Everything comes back to Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and all authority is His. All authority. Remember back in chapter 3, verse 35, God has given everything into the hands of Jesus Christ. And so He has all authority. He even has authority to interfere with your life. He had the authority to interfere with this woman's life. 
Yet he allows us to choose whether or not he is going to have authority over us. He allows us to choose that. Even though he is all-powerful and has all authority, he gives us the option if we want his authority in our lives. Everything that Jesus says and does is based on his own authority because he is the living word of God. Does he have authority in your life? Have you chosen to give him authority because he is giving you eternal life? So as we've looked at this, how Jesus got to the heart of the matter with this woman he approaches us the same way. It's His initiative. It's His boldness in our lives. It's His grace. It's certainly His truth and His authority. And He comes to us with those very same things in our lives to change our hearts. And, you know, we could use the same pattern as we deal with other people to take the initiative, to have boldness, but to do it in grace and in truth and in the authority of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is in us, doesn't give us any right to be mean or condescending in any way, but we come to people like Jesus comes to us because Christ is in us. So may I say to you, may I take the initiative to say, live for Jesus. Don't live for yourself. Don't live any way you want to. Live under the principles of God's Word and then take care that that spring that is in you is, is bubbling up so that it can reach and touch other people. Make Him the ultimate authority of your heart. And then when you do that, you become that spring that touches the lives of other people. And do it in Jesus' name. Father, help us to see all that we've talked about, your initiative and your grace and your truth, your, your boldness, your authority. You have all authority. And Lord, we yield to you because of that. Lord, I don't know where people are in their relationship with you, but you do. So Lord, if you were tugging at hearts, I pray that they would respond, that we, that I, would respond to the tugging of your Holy Spirit to take us deeper into your truth and into your person. And so, Lord, we come as we are. And we come in Jesus' name. Amen.